When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so it's all over. Yes, the longest season in living memory is done. And in tandem, uh, a very long season for us. Uh, this is our 51st pod, including all the Sunderland ones, also comes to a close after a tumultuous final game week. Join for the final time before a long, well, I mean long, it's probably going to be about two weeks worth of summer vacay uh, by Stag and, of course, Nick uh, for the final time in the 1920 season. Sign off, Nick, as is my want. Nick, you all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it was a pretty exciting conclusion to the season, wasn't it, on, on the Sunday with all those matches on all at the same time. Pretty frantic with all the goals pouring in and the whole afternoon was just a high activity before the deadline as well as during the games. Um, just to say who we are, we are Who Got The Assist. Um, you can find us primarily on Twitter. We're all active. Um, you can find Tom on the main account at WGTA underscore FPL, at WGTA underscore Nick for myself, if you want to give me a follow, at FPL Stag for Anthony. Um, we're also on Instagram, WGTA.FPL. And yeah, as we said, we're joined again by Anthony. How are you? You know, lads, good to be back for one last one last time for this season. It was a good kind of mad final day. It wasn't like final days of previous years where I remember kind of goals going in all over the place. Whereas I think this one, it was more there was kind of FPL important moments happening every few minutes, but not much else. So it was, it was a funny end to the season, but definitely a frantic one. I think to be perfectly honest with you, the bit that got the heart racing the most was probably the 15 minutes before with the team sheets, etc. That was a complete and utter cluster of the highest order, but good fun nevertheless. Anyway, the agenda for this pod, of course, we don't have any um, transfers to talk about this week, thank, thank goodness. So we're going to first move into our final day tribulations and stuff. Then we'll reflect on the season as a whole and uh, have a look then at prices for some key men or think about prices for key men for the coming season. And we'll also nominate some key awards for just best players in different positions, etc., as we normally do at the end of every season. But first of all, we are going to start with our final game week review, game week 38. Okay, so um, perhaps I should kick off proceedings, um, seeing as I finished the highest of all of us in the end. Finished ah, about 82k overall rank, which to be honest, I'm not particularly happy with. Uh, but, you know, Vegas can't be choosers, I guess. Uh, pre-hit, I finished with 79 points, which was um, was a green arrow in the end um, for my pre-hit. Worked out uh, okay, okay-ish. I think um, I looked at my actual team in game 37 versus my team in game 38, and I was only... Two points better off with my game, with my free hit team. So, not not ex, not an exceptional free hit, but happy with the seventy nine points at least. Um, my late replacement for Trent Alexander Arnold, um, Virgil Van Dyke picked up nine points. My captain Sterling got sixteen points. Also got um, eleven points from Bruno Fernandez, Kane nine pointer, uh, Kevin De Bruyne got me nineteen points, and, and Martial who came in for Salah um, got me six points as well. But um, a few negatives, I guess, the Burnley triple-up was a bit of a bust. <laughs> Only uh, three points for Peters, one for Pope. And Bardsley as well got zero points. And sort of 
after an illustrious career as a Premier League journeyman, probably the first time I've ever owned him in fantasy football history and probably going to be the last as well, especially considering uh, Peters and Barnsley's with a late yellows almost threatened the mini league loss for me. But luckily I, I won our cash league by two points and that's the main thing I guess yeah. I'm, I'm really happy about. Yeah, no, that was incredibly close up until the very, very last moment, wasn't it? We were kind of firing uh, updates left and right on our Slack. Just like, Nick, you're, you're now five points ahead. Oh, Nick, and now it looks like you're, you're one point behind. And yeah, a mixture of bonus and hits to go over the lines. Yeah, well done, Nick. Uh, a well-deserved victory in the cash league and well-deserved uh, victory out of the three of us. Um, me second. Um, I ended up with 68 net, 72 minus four, um, 195k finish. Uh, FPL podcasting has, has had a depressingly dulling impact on my ability as a player, hasn't it? Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, the fun day madness kind of took over a little bit. So um, I'm going to talk about ITKs in a minute, but it became clear that Salah wasn't going to start with about five minutes towards deadline. Uh, so I did hand my free hit compatriots that goal. I did Salah to Son, which didn't really work out. I mean, I've done it, and to be honest, I probably did cost me the green arrow because uh, Son um, got two, and Foden, who I who I had on the bench, got one. Um, I had Jesus, my captain, and again, like this season, it's been the case of me just not being able to get the captain right. Um, I should have done Kevin De Bruyne, and that's pretty obvious in the case of hindsight, and probably should have been obvious in pre-sight as well, in foresight as well. Um, it's, it's it's not really it's not failed because the captain obviously did something, but then again, it wasn't the captain who actually excelled and it wasn't the optimal captain but look back at my numbers as well and I've only managed to captain my top scorer on seven occasions this season which is absolutely diabolical uh, just for context that means in four and five game weeks I've effectively had either a, a captain blank or just a captain fail where another more captainable asset has done better so it's not the case of me saying it was a fail because Lundstram got a 12 and my captain got 10. It's the case that I had Sterling and De Bruyne and I captained Sterling whereas, and De Bruyne went mad or vice versa. So yeah, on only seven occasions I got that right, which is just absolutely, that's a killer, absolute killer. I only got, uh, yeah, uh, 494 captain points, uh, which was not just not good, uh, really not good. So yeah, around 200k. Um, I need to go away in the uh, in the vacay and have a think about what the bloody hell I'm going to do to improve things. But yeah, there you go. Anthony, as a bottom of the pile, how are you feeling? Are you feeling more upset than I am? Uh, okay, bottom of the pile, sure. But I'm for the fifth, I think, week in a row, I have the highest points of the three of us in a in a game week. So 86 points uh, finishing off. I'm just going to take the positives because the season as a whole is just a complete um, mess, really. But my 86-point free hit was solid enough. The triple Burnley defense didn't work out. I put in Peters and I kept Kevin Long for um, basically because he's Irish and uh, he didn't uh, get attacking returns, unfortunately. Peters did, um, got an assist, so cheers. And I picked Robertson was my Liverpool uh, defender that I decided to put into my team um, after the team leaks. Unfortunately, I'd considered Van Dijk. I just went for Robertson basically because he's been better over the course of the season. Well, whatever. Didn't quite work out. Um, across midfield, I had Bruno Fernandes. I did go for Raheem Sterling and David Silva, who was obviously a little disappointing on his final day in the Premier League, but I captained Kevin De Bruyne. A rare captaincy success for me, actually. So that his 38 points um, in total was a huge gain for me. Up front, I had Harry Kane. Fine, a lot of free hit teams had him. I'm happy I put him in. I went for a punt on Troy Deeney. Of course, he returned once. He was unfortunate, really. He could have returned more. So 
if we were to talk about outcome bias or whatever, I could say that I think I'm happy with that pick looking back on it. And Jamie Vardy was a punt. I kind of, I went with my heart really on that. And I kind of thought that he, he could return big if Leicester were to finally perform um, for nearly the first time since Christmas, really, against United. It didn't turn out that way. Leicester missed out in the Champions League. He still got his golden boot, basically, thanks to goals scored um, between August and December. Fair play to him. But unfortunately, no returns for me there. If I'd had a Bamiang in that team, that's a 100-point game week, but nope. So whatever, we'll take it. I'm happy with that. As for the season itself, I finished at 411k. That is disappointing for somebody who has been writing about FPL part-time, I guess, for four years now, who appears on a podcast week in, week out um, now, I guess, but have always been someone who's been on podcasts or whatever. Of course, it's not a great result. But when you consider it is my top overall rank over the course of this season, um, at least that's something. It, is, it wasn't a collapse. At least I pulled things together and improved as the season went on. I my captaincies were the biggest problem. I, I have 474 captain points. When you consider that my captain scored between one and six points on 17 occasions, you realize that, okay, sure, I, I did manage to nail it a, a few times, but when I, I just, for the most part, completely messed it up. Um, so that's disappointing. I took 52 points worth of hits as well, so 13 if you want to do your four times tables. Um that was like that's a lot and i'm happy with that i don't really care to be honest i'm quite happy that i attacked it towards the end and as it turned out it, it did help me i guess climb the rankings and fix my team up i'm i've been saying it to the lads there pre-pod that i'm probably going to run a second team next season which is just like this mental hits kind of team where i'm happy to take 20 points worth of hits week in week out just to basically try and hit like the optimal team for that given week in the premiums etc and maybe a few punts see how it does over the course of a year because i think Goodness, given how poor my side did over the course of this season, I'd like to have kind of that second kind of more um, experimental team going. But, uh, look, overall, a disappointing season, but happy with maybe how it ended. Yeah, definitely had that exit velocity, uh, which may suggest that next season you will be, you know, in terms of your overall rank gain, next season, game week one, you're going to be number five and by the end of the season you'll be number one so there you actually go. yeah forgot to say that of course i, I had my best uh, game week uh, results ever being uh, ranked one in the world for multiple game weeks uh, in a row <laughs> just loads of other people were too but yeah, <laughs> statistically true. True. <laughs> right excellent and um i guess uh, one of the things and the uh, stags alluded to um, and i alluded to earlier on the pockmarks uh, the final day just have kind of have a word on it because it's being discussed everywhere and it was discussed everywhere on sunday morning as well is this itk madness I can't remember a time like 2.45 to 3 p.m. on Sunday. Um, it was just absolutely crazy. I mean, we had one guy who disappeared, another guy who wasn't going to say anything, and then we had a desperate kind of scrabble of information. You had fraudsters everywhere. And then suddenly you had this sort of Liverpool kind of person who came through and said, oh, you know, Salah's not playing, Mane, it looks like TAA's not playing, it's like Mane's not playing. And then we were able to make transfers, but then you see people, you know, complaining that they're not able to make transfers because they're in another, you know, there's kind of uh, another time zone, and obviously it's not not fair since so waking up at two a.m. You have uh, you know people writing that oh you know Klopp threw a grenade into uh, FPL managers uh, thinking whilst they themselves are taking the minds forward because they're taking advantage of the ICKs. Like, it is crazy, isn't it, to think that this is going on just because of the fact that the deadline is 60 minutes before kickoff. So it means that some people do get the team sheets and it's just leaked out. Like, surely it's the case that they just change it to 90 minutes before the deadline 
like that seems to me to be the best way of doing it because you don't have these kind of team sheet people who are able to pick up the team sheet there's 15 kind of minutes between the teams being released and the broadcasters receiving them surely it kind of just makes sense to have the to extend the deadline the next 30 minutes um that, that seems to be the way to do it and get rid of it because i mean i think it's probably just i mean i'm not going to not use it if it's not there because i'm not an idiot but at the same time, I think probably we'd all prefer it to be not there. And maybe there's an element of skill in the fact that you're kind of picking and choosing and hoping that you've understood Pep properly or you're getting the players in who are likely to play the most minutes, right? I mean, that seems to be my view on the ITK system. I don't know what you guys think. It's not really right that, you know, some managers will have that advantage of being able to see um, team news and make those changes just a few minutes before the deadline and take it like we did obviously that take advantage of the fact that Trent Alexander-Arnold wasn't playing and Mo Salah or Sadio Mane wasn't playing and find suitable replacements way ahead of the deadline and yeah it was it was completely mental wasn't it I don't it wasn't just the Liverpool league there were a few other leagues going around it does kind of create a few issues obviously for FPL managers um, and, and executives of the game to a certain extent and I know it's something that perhaps needs to be looked at for the next season. I don't know how much time they have, but the, the rules do need to be re-examined there because, I mean, you've got games like Sky, you've got games like the Bundesliga Fantasy, which give you right until the start of the games before you, you can make changes. And ideally, perhaps FPL could do something like that and just get rid of this whole rule about the team sheets completely. Uh, but I know that they have to kind of put the, the website down for a, a little while to update the game before for each game week so their technology issues so that is that is the problem there so obviously yeah the 90 minutes may be another solution but at the moment at the moment it's just adding too much of an advantage to certain managers and it's not fair for other managers unfortunately who want to play the game some people are asleep they're in different time zones some people are at work some people are driving some people are watching their kids play football matches in random fields across england or in other parts of the world like there's always going to be you know some people are in nuclear submarines and it doesn't come up for air until for every three days or something and they can't access the internet like i don't think we can start catering for like all the people who just happen to be in all of these you know some very mundane some bizarre situations and I think the one hour, if anything, is the perfect amount of time. And I think, okay, A, if the leaks are there, you know they're there. If you're really into the FPL, you can go and chase it down. That's no more than with stats. If you really want to invest your time slash your money slash whatever, you can go and get that slight edge. Sometimes something that deludes you, to be honest. Sometimes it's not a help at all having all the information or the extra information. So, okay, fine, right. You can go and chase it if you want to, A. Um, but more importantly, I think... We've seen before with team leaks that some people, players, staff, whatever, tend to know who is going to be playing the day before. And some know about it, you know, the hour before. I think the reason why we sometimes get the information just before the hour is just a kind of a, a mechanism for people to make sure, the people who are actually leaking, to make sure that they're less likely to get caught but still gain the notoriety on Twitter for being the person who does the leaks and to attract the attention and to get the gain that they do from that fair play to them i can see why they do it or whatever it's human nature but 
I like I just think if we move it to ninety minutes before the game, they'll all they'll still have a lot of them will still have the information and they'll still leak it because uh, they'll want to. Right. That's not how it works. So basically, what happens is um, I know I know there's the I know there's the port the there's the portal that a lot yeah, of the so teams th- have to put the, the teams into. Those are the main anywhere. ones, and the rest of it is just some, like people like um, the Leicester guy who happens to know that information, but they're they're very few and far between, aren't they? Well, we think, but maybe we'll find that, yeah, I'm, I'm fully aware that there is the portal there and that that's how the broadcasters, for example, get it. And that's how, but the fact of the matter is that you'll still have, remember the Anfield Express, like gasness when they used to have the team like 24 or 48 hours beforehand. Yeah, yeah, okay. There is the Leicester League as well, who often comes through. Like if we just try to move the deadline a little bit more, all we do is we make the inner circle of people who have the knowledge that are, if, we've, if we're calling it unfair that some people have the knowledge and other people don't, then all we're doing is making the inner circle who have the knowledge even smaller. You know, it's just the people who happen to be friends with players and who happen to get that little bit of information. It happens to be people who are friends of staff or people who sure. just are on the broadcasting teams that happen to have the knowledge more. I don't think moving the deadline is the going to help things at all. I, I just think we kind of have to live with it. And the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes there are fake leaks and people get caught. And that's maybe the that's the the double-edged sword that comes with the leaks and we might need to deal with it. Like, I think there has been signs that the Premier League are trying to crack down on it a little bit and the broadcasters are becoming more and more aware of it because there's a bit of a circle of trust there between teams and the broadcasters, etc., and giving the teams a little bit early so that they can get their spanky graphics ready in advance. I really don't think we can start trying to move times to get something out of it or to try and change it. Human nature means, I think, that there will always be leaks and there won't be leaks and there'll be fakes. I think the difference is the element of certainty um, so the broadcast leaks, that is certain. That's a fact that these players are all going to play. Then we had our, our man, FPL, I'll call him substandard to change his name slightly, comes out <laughs> with a leak and he still catches everybody because... Yeah, I know, I know, sure I, know I know, leak. I know, I know. But people who are proven in inverted commas to have that broadcast leak and the fact that there is an hour, that means yep. that they've got, we've got 15 minutes within to act, right? If they move to 90 minutes, that means there isn't that 15 minutes to act. So that cuts out half the ITK, if not more. And that seems to be the best way to ensure that everybody has an equal playing field, apart from maybe well-known ITKs like your Apple Express that. Um, to me, 90 minutes seems to be the best way to, to... Everyone's happy. You don't have these kind of broadcaster ITKs. It's up to you whether you trust these kind of... My mum's brother works at Leicester's training ground and the head coach's daughter was my ex-girlfriend, so I happen to know what's going to happen with the right back this week. It's up to you whether you believe that. But the broadcaster team sheets those were fact that that was going to happen right and that is that's a huge impact compared to just you know i've been told this that, that's that's that there's no comparison in the weight in the gravity between those two so i think the 30 minutes that i've suggested that that is huge because that removes the significance of like if i'm told right in a normal game week right on the sunday if i'm told blah blah, blah isn't, isn't starting for city that's annoying if I own that player, but I can't do anything about it because the deadline's gone. If the deadline hasn't gone, then I can do something about it. And that gives me an unfair advantage compared to somebody who, for whatever reason, can't be on Twitter or, you know, however you want to frame it. I understand that if people are engaged, they probably should be online. And to be honest, everybody who was kind of given this false act of chivalry, there was nowhere I'd be looking at leaks. Like, that's actually bollocks. Of course, they're all online. Well, there were thousands of people across the world locked in bathrooms for 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, of course. That's absolutely you know, bollocks like... <laughs> if people weren't going to be there, right? But if you remove that through changing the deadline, you at least kind of deal with the immediate issue. And you're always going to have people who chatter, always going to get people who you know, know the groundsman or something. But 
I just don't think it's, it's, it's removing the broad. It's removing the. It's removing that. I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm probably going to come down on the side of saying that I do think it's a. I think it's a nice advantage, but it kind of feels like a dirty advantage. It really does. Like, There's I, dirty I advantages in every other part of life. Yeah, true. But I mean, this is FPL. It's a game. It's not. It's not like I'm uh, using my connections to get a job and a pay rise, is it? It's. It's a. It's a game that there should be some sort of level of of equality. I think at least. Anyway, I don't think we're going to come to a conclusion here. Uh, so let's move on to something different. Uh, let's move on to Market Forces 2020-21. Just to indulge in some pure speculation uh, for the rest of this half of the pod. Uh, I think it's always worth every year before we know the prices. And obviously the first pod back will be probably uh, reacting to the newest prices. But I, I think we're kind of looking through the list of the players who, who did start for us this year and kind of thinking, well... What might change next year and how might that kind of impact everything? Like it's, it's obviously, this is pure speculation. Every year we always say, oh, God, how am I going to fit everybody in? And inevitably you find a way, uh, a template which works. Or uh, it depends how much you follow the template, of course. Let's start off with Man City, just because that's probably the most potent way of doing it. Of course, Liverpool are Liverpool, and we'll mention them in a minute. But there's, the cast of characters at City is absolutely huge. And two men stole the show, didn't they, in the, uh, in the restart? As a Sterling, who was the top scoring player, um, 86 points, and then Kevin De Bruyne, um, who, uh, well, he was consistently did very well at the beginning and did very well at the end, so a nice bookend. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, 9.5 to start with, all that's 10.6. Raheem Sterling, I mean, are those two going to be the same price, do we think? Um, I think the days of Kevin De Bruyne being 9.5 have long gone, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's worth mentioning as well that Kevin De Bruyne, top scorer for FPL this season, knocked uh, Mo Salah off his pedestal. I was expecting Mo to make it three years in a row, but no, De Bruyne showed up and just delivered with his um, amazing assist record, 23 assists, 13 goals over the course of the season. He's just been fantastic, hasn't he? Just an amazing player. And I think um, 9.5 million was very generous um, price. I think obviously he was injured for most of the previous campaign, but He's not going to be 9.5 million, that's for sure, next year. I can, to be honest, I can see them both being 12 million. I think they will mm-hmm. both be 12 million. Sterling um, got less points this year, 204, compared to the previous year, 234. But I think um, a player of his calibre, he's, he's not going to be seeing a, a price drop. He actually scored more goals this season with 20 compared to 17. But only managed six assists for some reason compared to 15 the previous campaign. Uh, but I think definitely, yeah, I, I can see them both at 12 million next year. I'd be probably surprised to see De Bruyne at 12.5 just because he ha- he can play deeper sometimes. Mm. But I reckon they'll both be 12. Uh, interesting. I actually do think that De Bruyne will come through at 12.5 and I've, I've not exactly gone for a, a very technical science on this. Only that Mo Salah got 259 points last year and started at 12.5. KDB got 251 over the course of this season. I think he'll merit that 12.5 because, okay, yes, he can play deeper but I think we might find that maybe he'll be like he was taking penalties towards the end of this season. Does he keep those? Certainly, it's going to be, have to be something that's factored into the number of goals that he might be able to score. Set pieces in general mean that he's always going to be in there, thereabouts. Creative, obviously, he can be creating from a quarterback role just as much as he can be if he's playing in a shadow striker role for the one or two games a season. But that happens. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if he was 12.5. I would say, let's say, I'd say 60% I would think he was 12.5 <laughs> and otherwise I'll say 12.0, but he's not going to be any lower than that. Sterling, I think, I think reflecting that he got that little, that less points and maybe the fact that he had such an inconsistent streak and the fact that he was so good for about 10 game weeks in the season and not that brilliant for the rest of the others. Um, the 12, the 11.5 even maybe would be probably fair to reflect him. Trying to balance the whole entire, I guess, game i think 11.5 is about as low as you can go for sterling but maybe 12 i can see i, I just can't see 11.5 again i just can't i i think that i, I always it's the last couple of years i think i've given too much credit to fpl in terms of their pricing uh complexity i think they're literally just fueled by hype <laughs> and uh, to be honest, there's, there was no one with a higher exit velocity than Sterling. But he scored 204 points a season, as Sarah just alluded to. That's 6.9 points per 90 overall. But he scored 86 in the restart, which works out as an astonishing 12.2 points per 90 over the course of a 38-game season. That would mean that he'd be on for a 450-plus season, which is absolutely... That's never going to happen, obviously. But just to show you how ridiculous um, the last kind of eight games worth, nine games indeed, were for Sterling. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw De Bruyne and Sterling probably at a similar sort of level. I think one offers kind of that drip feed. So Kevin De Bruyne uh, returned points in some way above appearance in 22 of, of 38 games a season. He only started 35, but however you skin it, that's kind of within high 50s, early 60 percentage in terms of uh, returning in a game. Uh, that's a pretty good chance. We love consistency as FPL players. And uh, obviously those assists are buffed with goals and buffed with bonus. Absolutely fantastic. Like with, 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 with De Bruyne as well, we've just seen him score his highest amount of goals in a Premier League season by you know quite a distance um he had 13 goals this season like his highest previous to that was eight in a season where he played about 200 minutes more than he did this season so you're you're, you're you know we're talking about a player who's you know he's on the up or at least he's reached his peak as a player right now it's just so hard to justify taking uh, yeah. anything off him, is, 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 is he having his Yaya Torre season though that's the thing like was this season his Yaya Torre and is he going to Kind of the likes of Bernardo Silva and things like that are going to come back into the team. Whoever they sign, Adam Hopcroft was saying that maybe Greedish would be a good fit for City. So all of these players coming into City, maybe that will dilute his goal share. I don't know. This is obviously all speculation, but maybe this year was his magnum opus in terms of scoring goals. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. I think with uh, Mo Salah, the twelve point five million, obviously point five more than what I, I was suggesting De Bruyne got, would get but obviously Salah as well had that pedigree of the 300 points the year before as well so was even more recognised as a top scorer in the Premier League was KDB mm-hmm. scored a lot of goals this season I just I just think perhaps considering the amount of price hikes they're going to be doing and we're going to be talking about some other players in a minute 12.5 million might be too steep um, to yeah. make it fair to fit in all these players i I just wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised though like if i was trying to ascribe intelligence to the guys who are doing the pricing (laughs) i'd probably say that we need you need to make force a choice for fpl managers and not just kind of corral people into a template so if you go with kdb you can't then say i'm going to make a salad and Sterling inclusion. That's going to be impossible. You're going to have to probably choose one and then probably choose one of the others and go without. Um, I think we saw it last season a little bit where you had you know, kind of Kunaguerra and Mane and Salah and Sterling. Like you could have made a choice around that. Um, I think maybe that should be accentuated a bit more this year. Uh, just to mention as well, one player um, that should be mentioned a little bit is that uh, Mares after uh, his cameo, uh, produced a golden assist and nine points. 
uh, salvation for the likes of Neil Murray and FPL general. Uh, but he was actually second in terms for Man City in terms of points per 90 season long. Uh, he was just behind Aguero. Um, Aguero got 8.16 points per 90. Mares got 8.12. And he actually had a better points per 90 than Kevin De Bruyne. Um, 8.12 versus 8.07 uh, for KDB. Obviously, of the impacts of Mares um, had been shown by the potential impacts of Mares had been shown by this game. But I mean, as we documented on the last pod, it's not like he'd been coming off the bench every time and knocking the points away. So, I mean, if Mares is given a nine, it was 8.5 at the start of the season, he was given a nine, 9.5 with five subs. That could be fantastic value for money, couldn't it? Just to have and hold in your team and occasionally just get an absolute trough to puff your game week score, no? Yeah, the one thing I would say is that I feel like those three city slots are going to be on a bigger premium come the start of next season. I think that their defence is finally going to be shored up. They, they can't possibly go another season without um, signing another, really another centre-back yeah. at minimum. Exactly. So suddenly you're looking at trying to fit one defender from City and I think at Min and then two attackers. It's going to be pretty difficult. Yeah, I think with Mahrez, he, he, I can see him being perhaps a 9 million. It's worth highlighting. Obviously, it's not his. Um, it's, it's only his third highest score um, since FPL began. He got two hundred and forty, unbelievably, back in fifteen sixteen when he was a five point five million asset, and that year he only was nine point five million. The following season, so that might perhaps temper some of the KDB valuations, considering you know we've got the spread of players that are going to be highly priced. And then in um, two thousand seventeen eighteen, he got one hundred and ninety five points and that year he was only um, valued the next season at 9 million so 9 million at max but perhaps um, 8.5 um, before we move on to Liverpool uh, worth quickly talking about the City forwards um, obviously there's two of them, Jesus and Aguero, uh, now Jesus um, started the season 9.5 million perhaps um, a little bit steep um, in the valuations considering he'd never really delivered in a big scale in the Premier League this season thanks uh, mainly to Aguero's injuries uh, he's actually had his best ever campaign with 14 goals and 8 assists uh, finishing the season 146 points now I don't think off the back of that he'll have a price fall and see him probably being another 9.5 million uh, for Jesus next year uh, with Sergio he started the year at um, 12 million and he spent a lot of it injured even though it was brilliant when he was um, actually fit getting 16 goals but I just I don't know perhaps if they're going to be increasing De Bruyne by 2.5 million they've got to this is what I meant about kind of finding the money to do the other price rise to make the game fair still I, I could perhaps see Aguero dropping in 0.5 or something like that maybe back down to 11.5 he was 11 million um, in 18-19 after scoring 169 points so I, I certainly can see a a small fall for, for Guerrero for next campaign. Yeah, I, I think I can see that um, 11.0-ish price tag coming for Aguero as well. And I, I, again, I've gone from my exact science of um, 17 goals in 2018-19. So last season saw Harry Kane reduced to 11.0. So Spurs were highly fancied coming into this campaign to not necessarily challenge for the league, but to definitely be a top four team. Kind of, It's easy to forget that at this point. So I think if we're to kind of give that big team premium starting striker premium that you would expect to have and you can't they can't not give Aguero that premium even though I'm sure the, the questions are going to start again of oh he's yeah. old or ooh someone's <laughs> going to come in or whatever Jamie the hell you know. syndrome <laughs> yeah exactly it happens every single year it's like oh he's finished and then no he, he's not finished uh, he's not anti-namey um, to go to that meme but yeah like look 16 goals uh, this season even though he was really like missed so much of the campaign huge fall in minutes um, 
reduce definitely from 12, but not much lower than 11. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be surprised by like a Kane-esque below 11. I think that would be a bit of a shock, to be honest. Uh, staying with the premiums then, um, the champions, the champions two key men, Mala, uh, Mane and Salah. Um, not much between them again, um, especially if the other isn't playing. Uh, if the other isn't playing, if the other is injured, same six strikers, just buy the other one. Um, but what's interesting looking at the data uh, is that Mane... Um, does lose out to Salah in terms of the numbers. So Salah's shot volume is double Mane's near enough. Um, E.g. Uh, Mane's got 34 shots on target. Salah's got 59. Uh, similar big chances though. 29 for Mane, 30 for Salah. But Salah's such a stats machine, isn't he? It was absolutely crazy. Uh, XG of 21 compared to an XG of 14.7 for Mane. Really, um, Salah was in with a shout until the Kevin De Bruyne Fando madness of being a top-scoring FPL player yet again. Ends on 232 compared to Mane's 209. So he did have a little bit of kind of leeway over his fellow African. Um, but still, I just wouldn't be surprised to see Salah given that extra 0.5 just because of the hype surrounding Salah. He's always going to end up kind of getting a few more owners, I think. And, um, you know, Comparing that to Kevin De Bruyne, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see next year that people go with Salah plus KDB as being auto includes plus another man from Liverpool. I'm sure we're going to mention him in it. TAA. Um, yeah, I mean, Salah next year. I mean, are we looking at kind of the same another 12.5, do you think? Yeah, I, I reckon so. Um, I can't see him. Well, he definitely won't have a price rise considering he, he scored less than he did the previous campaign where he was priced at 12.5 million. So if he's not priced at the same, all it would be is a price fall. So yeah, there was only one player this season that was 12.5 million. That was Salah. There wasn't anyone priced any higher than that either. And, um, you know, he could potentially have a fall to 12. You know, that's a possibility that they decide to drop him 0.5. Um, Mane as well. I, I, he won't be, I can't see Mane being 12.5. I can see it probably being a 12 million and a, a 12.5 million for Salah. That, that's my prediction, at least. I was surprised, actually, that I'd only, uh, I looked at my stats earlier, I'd only owned um, Salah for 15 game weeks this season. Less than half the season, which was, was a bit of a surprise because I feel like he's the one of those players that's sort of, always in my team so I was, I was quite entertained by that very little to add really on either of those two Liverpool players only that I do think that Salah will mirror 0.5 more than Mane no matter what I think it's just as you say it's it's really the statistics kind of back that Salah should be scoring uh, more than Mane in our heads certainly given I guess his golden boot season that we would consider him a better striker in terms of like goal getting maybe not as a better striker of the ball or finisher but certainly a better player at getting goals in the Premier League and so he'll probably be that 0.5 more but I think Manny will be very good value for being 0.5 less than Salah put it that way Terrible case though actually and in terms of the other uh, big uh, auto include uh, for many um, described as a fallacy in some quarters but I'm sure that TAA what um, one of the A's being assist <laughs> is going to be Allison. in most people's uh, teams uh, come game week one. Uh, it won't, won't surprise anybody to hear that he had the highest XA per 90 and outperformed most defenders had a big chance of 19. Although Robertson wasn't too far behind on 14 comparatively. I mean, 8 million Trent versus 6.5 million, 7 million Robertson. TAA's in all of our teams regardless, isn't he? We did see back in 2011-12 Leighton Baines being priced at 8 million, but 
I'm not sure that we're going to see Trent valued at that, just based on recent history with FPL and their pricing model. For instance, Robertson actually um, scored three more points last campaign than Trent did this campaign. So Robertson finished the campaign on 213 points compared to Trent's 210 this year. And Robertson's only got the 7 million valuation alongside Trent. So I, I wouldn't... Maybe a 7.5 million for Trent, just because he is so good and he's so young and and perhaps he hasn't even reached his full potential yet. Um, so he could even do even better next campaign. But I'd, I'd be surprised to see them hike the defender to an even to up, up to 8 million just because they don't tend to price defenders that steeply, typically. Interesting. Um, if we hadn't, um, if Tom hadn't recalled Leighton Baines's uh, price having once been set at 8.0, I would have ruled out that being a possibility. But now that that uh, distinct reality has uh, been brought to my attention, I think he probably could easily be uh, 8.0 next season. Like the fact of the matter is, we're talking about a player who delivered the third, the third most key passes in the whole division, created the second most big chances in the whole division, scored you know a fair few goals on top of that, just a few, and also. Um, four was it? Yeah, four goals this season. Had you know a low enough xG, but I think given that he's shown his prowess with free kicks, I think we're going to see him given the chance to shoot more and more, especially as he continues to um, bloom. I guess considering he's so young, if he was a midfielder and he was a Liverpool midfielder in this game, I don't think we would even have a question about having him in our teams uh, at eight point But the fact of the matter is, because he's a defender, we have this mental block about him. Eight He's just frankly so good and that Liverpool defence by the way it's not going anywhere it's still going to be good he's still going to get clean sheet points along the way as well so it's pretty it's it's yeah whatever price it, honestly if he's 8.5 I think he's still on my team I think it's, it's it's basically like FPL the engaged FPL manager's little secret isn't it up to scoring 200 this year um, over 150 last year I think you can see the upward trajectory as you've said and I think that Bulk at eight, eight point five, and I just can't see them going to eight point five. Maybe Nathan Nathan Baines in his prime esque eight is as high as they go, seven point five. I think probably. Yeah, but like I think we need to remember as well as that, like the previous season, he was only earning his place in the team. Like this is his first full season in that Liverpool team. It's it's so easy to forget because he's like been a you know concrete member of our FPL brains for over nearly about two years now. The fact of the matter is, is that like. This was his first season playing over two and a half thousand minutes in, you know, a three thousand four hundred four hundred ish minute season. So, like, he's really only becoming what he could be in FPL terms now. Um, like, I, I just think he's just probably one of the best players in the whole entire game, and it's it's yep. so easy to see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Same as that's exactly what Value would say. Right? Okay. Um. Oh God, this is this could go on for ages. I think we're going to have to basically stick to the top four. <laughs> do man, do man, United, maybe Chelsea, and then pick out a few players. Others are going to be sat here all night. Um, let's just do United quickly, and I think that they are obviously going to be due a hike. Um, that is for sure. Uh, Bruno, the highest points per ninety over the course of the season will come as no surprise to anybody anywhere is he going to regress hmm, who knows um 13 goal involvements in 10 games absolute madness effectively and i think we might see a little bit of a uh, repositioning as well with the united key men right nick i mean you've got martial rashford and greenwood you could all do the hokey cokey martial heading up to the being a striker greenwood and rashford back to midfielders i mean martial 
well, I mean, from nowhere, he became the third highest point scorer in mid since the restart behind Raheem Sterling and Bruno. So, yeah, it'll be a lot of interest in how that United dynamic uh, front four is priced, isn't won't there? Yeah, definitely. I think with Martial, he, he is going to be forward next season. So that will be factored into his score, certainly. I, I did some quick maths. And if he was a forward this campaign, he would have got 169 points, um, which would have been the sixth highest forwards out of all of them. Um, not too shabby and would have outscored the likes of Harry Kane. Um, just as a sort of comparator, I, I looked at kind of like Jesus and Firmino and they haven't been reaching those kinds of totals recently, but were priced at 9.5 million. So I think 9.5 million uh, push perhaps from, from Martial, I think was probably right. I, don't, I can't see him being as low as nine, uh, but then maybe 10. But I think they'll have to factor in that he's changed from midfield to forward. So I, I reckon 9.5 million for him. But Rat Rashford, on the contrary, he's, he's going to be classified as a midfielder potentially just because of the position he's been playing in that United team. So if FPL followed their traditions, he would have actually got an extra 26 points um, as a midfielder and would have returned 203 FPL points this campaign, which would have been uh, three more than what Martial actually scored, uh, making him the fifth highest scoring midfielder for this campaign. It's, it's more than the likes of you know, Song Hoon Min has been scoring, his songs was sort of 9.5 million, more than the likes of Ericsson, believe it or not, was 9.5 million uh, midfielder as well uh, so I reckon from Rashford I, I kind of had him down if he's a midfielder I think probably about 10 million uh, would be my estimation again the other one we mentioned um, very briefly was Mason Greenwood uh, so yeah he, he made 100 points this season first campaign had an excellent time as a midfielder he'd have got 119 points um, as a comparator that would have been about eight points less than Pulisic got for this campaign and considering Greenwood hardly Jeez. played until the end that that's really really good for him um so i think uh, probably he he might him and foden probably are going to be the players to look at because they're not going to have huge price rises and they could be really good value options for next campaign so i reckon greenwood could be like a 7.5 or something and could be like the, the player to own basically next season so i think that's that's what i thought about those guys and i'm finally mentioned bruno um, did some more maths here. So 117 points in 14 games. If he managed over the 38, you know, big if, that would have been a phenomenal 317 points over the course of the campaign. So big, big if, but still that that's huge. And I think with that in mind, I could see him being as steep as about 11 or even 11.5, probably 11, I reckon, for him next campaign. And anything less would represent him. 10.5 would definitely be a bargain, I think, for Bruno next campaign. So I had him down for about 11 million yeah, I guess the one thing I'd temper with Bruno is, A, he was very dependent on penalties and um, United broke the record for number of penalties earned this season. I know he was only around for a bit of that, but he took yeah. every single one after that, really, didn't he? Or apart from, what, did Rashout, Martial, or Rashford took a, one penalty, I think, in yeah, that period. Yeah, he got a sympathy one, didn't, didn't he? he? And we all said he was going to rotate, they're going to rotate. No, it was yeah. a sympathy penalty. It was a charity penalty for charity not. man. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Meanwhile, the one thing you would say with Bruno is that, I guess if... De Bruyne was so cut price at the start of this season. It's not impossible that we'll see him coming in cheaper just in this whole no, balance up the game type thing. We can dream. We can dream. We can dream. <laughs> um, maybe let's move on from United because um, I, I think there's very little to add on that to Chelsea. And okay, Chelsea are going to be injecting some new premiums for sure into this game. So Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech, uh, uh, Kai Havertz is a potentially signing as well um, if you're to believe the transfer news. I'm very excited about 
these signings coming into Chelsea. And it's not just because of the individuals themselves who've obviously proven themselves the distinction in various leagues. But the fact of the matter is that like, there is no team in the top half of the Premier League table that underperformed on XG more. There's no team in the whole Premier League that underperformed more in terms of uh, expected goals conceded. Uh, gracias, Kepa. So... <sighs> <laughs> Sorry, so I looked. I looked at his numbers that are so bad, aren't they? So anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I thought it was the grass got you. You were like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> but yes, th- this is the thing with Chelsea is that they were like really, really good on paper, and just they didn't necessarily have the finishers at the top of the field, and they didn't necessarily have the keeper they needed between the sticks, and it kind of cost them overall. Like they, in terms of um, expected points, which I know this is like all of these expected stats are going to give somebody a hemorrhage, but they were very close to Liverpool actually. So like this just tells you how good they could be if they can really bring it together next season as well, if they stop con- conceding from uh, uh, set pieces. Like there's just so much potential for that Chelsea team top to bottom. Um, but that's not probably not going to be reflected in prices, uh, except for maybe with these new premium assets. Like Iguain came into Chelsea at 9.5. That feels a tad low for someone like Werner who comes in with um, definitely. A, definitely a better pedigree. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, you know, Iguain had been uh, the Golden Boot winner in Serie A, I think, two seasons before he joined. Of course, Werner's coming in with that just in his back pocket this season, uh, if I'm correct in saying. So, like, is he going to be less? Is he going to be 11, let's say? But if that's what Werner comes in at, that's, I think, a pretty good price. Uh, Hekim Ziyech is a little bit more difficult to talk about purely because he's coming in from the Dutch league and we've all know in previous <laughs> yeah. years there's there's just like, there's Big no asterisk. such... It's yeah, it's exactly. It's decent tragic uh, bangs, isn't it? <laughs> Jakan Bash, the highest scorer. Josie yeah. Altidore is an absolute god. Alfonso Alves. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Middlesbrough's saviour. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, and, as well. and, and so, like, there, there's no such thing really as, like, some sort of formula for, you know, plug in Dutch goals and assists here, you know, exit Premier League points here. And obviously, he, did, he has done well at Champions League level, at the highest level. But again, we just can't be sure that that's going to translate. Kai Havertz, um, he, young, seems absolutely brilliant, seems like a real generational talent. I wouldn't be too concerned about him, only that they might overprice him straight away because he's coming in uh, like so well-known. Yeah. No, signed. <laughs> no, he hasn't signed yet, no. I, yeah. think, I think what's um, what's most appealing about this whole shebang, and maybe what's going to be very appealing about next year, is that we're going to end up with an extra premium or two. So we've had the same sort of uh, collection of premiums the last couple of years. And one, the only thing that happened at the start of this year was that Eden Hazard left. And we hadn't had that premium to replace them with. Um, and I had players who are able to kind of have that level of consistency. The highest price player was Pulisic, who was new to the league. Whereas in the past, they've been kind of, they've solidly had this extra premium. There was no other option out there in terms of a player like that. So, yeah, as Stag mentioned, Timo, Timo Werner coming in. Very exciting. 28 goals, uh, 8 assists last season. Astonishing 3.92 shots per 90 last year, according to Understat. And XG per game of 0.75, which is absolutely mad. Watching him, though, just a quick uh, watch out. Uh, he's a bit wasteful. Um, so, uh, countless games when we were playing fantasy Bundesliga, um, I watched him. He you know, had four or five chances to match him and we scored one. Um, be prepared. Um, he obviously does have the data to back him up, but he is going to flounder a lot of chances as well. He also operated centrally at Red Bull Leipzig and it has been suggested that he might be fielded uh, out wide, um, cutting inside or Bamiang style. It'll be interesting to see where Lamps plays him. 
whether he opts to continue on with Juru uh, slash Tammy and uh, sticks Werner on the wing or whether Werner does get them in the central spot. So, yeah, uh, that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, another one, um, as I mentioned, Ziyech uh, averaged 10 assists per season for Ajax over the last few years. Last season, a huge 16 goals, only six this year. There's still lots of SPG, as the, as the guys have said. Watch out. It's a Dutch player coming in from Eredivisie. Did well in the Champions League, but again, slightly different to the to playing Burnley on the Tuesday night. And finally, Kai Havertz, uh, 12 goals, 6 assists last season in the Bundesliga. Very young, um, but it'll be very interesting to see what happens with him. And of the old guards, slash people still at Chelsea, Drew's done very well this year, actually, come to think of it in terms of points per 90. But the one who comes through is Pulisic. Um, so Pulisic uh, was the highest in terms of points per 90 this year, 6.62. Um, butted, of course, by uh, that final, that penultimate game week. So, uh, off the bench to absolutely smash it. So, yeah, I think Chelsea will be interesting, aren't they? Yeah, certainly. I don't think it's going to be like this campaign, though, where there were so many bargains at the likes of Chelsea and Manchester United because they've had better seasons and Chelsea are buying a few players. This campaign, I think the value is going to be spread a little bit more thinly there. But I think perhaps um, Arsenal and Spurs might be teams to look at uh, for a few more bargains. If we're going to try and hunt for bargains, we're going to have to when we start our game week one teams because unfortunately we're probably not going to be able to load up and buy some Bruyne and Fernandes and Salah very easily. Um, so that's a Spurs. We'll, qu- we'll cover Spurs quickly because we've gone on quite a lot already. But, uh, you know, I think the likes of... Um, well, Kane's probably going to be the most expensive. Perhaps um, he might have a 0.5 price pool, but probably not based on his late season form, unfortunately. If, if he hadn't had his late season form, I'd have said he'd probably have a fall. But, you know, he's got five goals in the last three games or something. So, yeah, probably not. And Son's probably going to say about the same price, but I think maybe we will definitely see like the full for the likes of Ali, likes of Mora, Bergwijn, and Lo Celso. There might be a player that steps out from the parapet there around that sort of seven million mark, seven point five million mark. I think Lo Celso. I think he's one I'm particularly interested in. He's, he's had a bit of a slow start for his Spurs career, but I saw he was starting to shine in those postseason games and impressing some of the set pieces as well. In, in the league, actually, he got nine goals and five assists at Real Betis in 18-19 and, and five goals and seven in the Europa League fixtures for Real Betis as well. So if he can start to show some of that uh, potential, he could be one to, to watch around seven million maybe. Um, look, with Spurs, like you'd think United's price at the start of this season might reflect what we can expect um, with that Spurs team in terms of their pricing. Pogba was 8.5, Marshall was 7.5. I, I can't see Kane dipping as far as Rashford's 8.5. That'll be dreamland stuff um like son was 9.5 this season i I think you should see that drop considerably maybe 8.5 might be as low as it can go but really i think because of the Mourinho's influence and just everything that's kind of going on at spurs um, i don't think we're going to have much more than one if not two players from that team maybe a defender because they were starting to show signs of defensive solidity uh, towards the, the end of the season yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe like you know, Aurier. Um, perhaps. I, I think that would be interesting with them. I think it was almost a bit of a, a bit of a curse that they've got the Europa League, so they've all got they've got those extra games. Uh, yeah. The likes of Wolves and maybe Arsenal who don't win the FA Cup are, are not going to have. Obviously, that means the Wolves do have it. Um, what if Wolves win the Europa League? Yeah. So yeah. Well, God knows. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think you guys are probably right, and I think maybe we're looking at likes of Son um, for sure, um, Lucas for sure. Um, they'll be very potent early differentials. Um, 
And Kane, 54 points since the restart, the highest scoring Spurs player, second highest forwards uh, and the second highest XG amongst forwards. So I'd be given, I think, the FPL price for hype. I think he's going to get 10.5 again. Um, but yeah, the supporting cast for Spurs is just to see where they're priced. There could be some serious bargains there, as Nick says, who are going to show up uh, from the parapet. And the North London rivals, uh, Arsenal. Well, this year it was Aubameyang or bust. 53 points since the restart. Obviously the highest Arsenal player. And just behind Kane, basically, on all metrics. He finished one point behind Kane in terms of uh, FPL points. And 0.01 XG uh, behind Kane as well since the restart. One of the closest relationships we've seen. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, I mean, any other players there, Nick? Maybe the likes of Saka or something? Yeah, maybe. I think Aubameyang's an interesting one for sure, because I think he might be classified as a midfielder next season as well, based on his positioning. And I did calculate oh, that he would have had be. a 237 points um, return if he was a midfielder. So that, I think for him, he's probably going to have a price rise if he is a midfielder of around 12 even as well, just because of that score is ridiculous. Yeah, I think there's a few Arsenal players, as you mentioned, Saka, um, was starting to really shine and maybe he'll be around that sort of 7 million mark around the same price as likes of Bowden or Greenwood I think he's certainly one to keep an eye on for next season but um, there's some other youngsters as well Martinelli was shining before he got injured um, you know, even like Nicketi and Willock potentially could come through we don't know but uh, Pepe was 9.5 he's certainly going to have a price fall so he'll be one he'll be an interesting one to watch as well for next campaign yeah, I think generally with Arsenal, it's it's really a matter of do the premiums fall enough to make them interesting? And then it is that kind of pretty big cohort of young, interesting players and defenders, I think, could come in cheap enough. Like Kieran Tierney, for example, having a good final day of the season is definitely going to be stuck in my mind come August. But look, it, it's very hard to know really what's going to happen with Arsenal. I just don't understand that club. I don't understand their <laughs> FPL assets. I always get them wrong. And I probably will if I try to do anything uh, forecasting how they're going to do next season um, I guess move us on to maybe two important ones and that'd be Danny Ings and Raul Jimenez <sighs> Jimmy 7.5 this season that seemed pretty fair I think we could see that go towards uh, 8 if Wolves' recruitment earns them even more hyper if they do actually go farther in the Europa League Ings was 6.0 at the start of this season that was definitely a steal and I'd see I could see him moving towards at least 7.0 I almost think I almost think they might get the same price point. To be honest, um, I, I I don't I, I'm not too sure. Like this year, yeah, seven point five for him and there's absolute steal. Um, one hundred ninety four points this season beats last season's one eight three. More goals, less assists. So this year, seventeen goals, eight seven assists. Last year, thirteen G, thirteen A. Um, and uh, I think what's really interesting though is to look at Ings. Um, one goal behind Vardy, who probably not going to have time to speak about tonight. Um, in terms of being the highest goal scoring forward, I totally overlooked Danny Ings this season, and I think probably is the case for Nick as well. And, and Stag and Stag too. Yep. And maybe it's injury records. Maybe it's you know FPL generals dulcet tones telling me not to buy an injury prone player. Maybe it's something else. But since restart, um, he's uh, been the uh, second highest scoring forwards and he's one of only one he's one of only two forwards to make it into the top 10 in terms of restart scores what's really fascinating about Ings though is how he overperforms his xg so this year he had 15.66 xg but scored 22 goals it's his, it's his kind of aggressive style which we've spoken about this podcast before um and uh, the way he steals goals from goalkeepers, thinking all the way back to Adrian and those sorts of you know, 
shots arrowed into the bottom corner that seems to be his trademark. He does that again and again and again. What's interesting is looking at him versus Jimenez. So Jimenez hits his mean, whereas Ings very much under overperforms it. I think what we're going to see next year is a bit of a choice between the two because they're both the classic talisman of their team. Um, both teams rely on that that person for output. And I would not be surprised to see them both being given eight eight point five. But again, could just be me over uh, over prescribing luck uh, when it comes to the FPL guys. Yeah, I think I, I perhaps thought they were going to be a bit more than that, both of you guys. So I kind of thought they could even be up as high as nine million just because of their their scoring records this campaign. That was kind of my estimate, but I guess perhaps that's a bit too extreme because I, I did actually compare it to to Vardy, and he was nine million after eighteen goals and five assists. Though when he scored that twenty four goals and Leicester won the title, he was only ten million. But I just thought, based on their campaigns, Ings gets Ings getting twenty two goals. That's just phenomenal. So it's like he must be at least nine. If he's if he's seven or seven point five, that would be an absolute steal. I think next campaign. One person I think that's worth discussing before we round off this uh, price prediction market forces extravaganza. Uh, looking ahead to next season is Jack Grealish. Um, it's I think it it seems unlikely that he's going to be at Aston Villa next season. I think that seems to be accepted wisdom at this point. There's a little bit of talk that he might go to Manchester City. That'd be pretty interesting if he did. There's obviously, there's been always been links to a lot of the other uh, big clubs in the league as well, Spurs and Man United amongst those. But I, I think we can expect him to go somewhere. And with that in mind, and I guess given how good he has been, especially in terms of his underlying stats this season, um, I think he was uh, second and third in terms of uh, key passes and big chances created this season. So two particularly impressive stats for a player that was at a team who were absolutely hopeless. And if he did have you know eight goals, seven assists this season, if he had a player in front of him that could actually score that seven assists is going to soar into double figures pretty quickly. And I'm just trying to think about like what price would he come in at? Like if he goes to a premium team or a top team, I think you'll see his price get a premium. Like if David Silva started this season at 7.5 after a season score of returning six goals and eight assists the season before, I, I, that kind of seems to me to be the roof for him. Whereas Deli Ali maybe started the season at 8.5, and that kind of feels a tad high. So maybe the lukewarm porridge of this situation is an 8.0 price tag for a Jack Grealish playing for a top team. Yeah, I think I, I agree with everything you said there. You literally said everything that I was going to say. I think 8 million was my estimate there as well with, with Grealish. As you said, he was second only to, to De Bruyne in terms of chances created. And unfortunately, those chances he was creating were for the likes of Samata and Wesley. So his assist um, tally is not as impressive as it could have been if he was creating those chances for the likes of Aguero or Sterling or, or Rashford. So certainly, I think um, he will get that price hike, probably 8 million, but Sometimes it can depend on where he goes if an announcement's made in terms of a transfer to Manchester United or Manchester City before FPL goes live. It could be as high as 8.5, maybe. Yeah, and one thing I will say is if um, Aston Villa's fax machine stays broken for the whole summer and he does end up staying at that club, um, I think that kind of you know upper single figures slash low double-digit figures in both goals and assists across the season. So you're talking about a, a player who can perform in both columns, effectively goals and assists. So one player who's been in a, a low-ranked team but who's been able to do that, not this season, but in previous years, was Wilfred Zaha. And he started at 7.0 for three seasons in a row, sometimes as a mid, sometimes as a forward, but seven kind of seems to be be that upper limit 7.5 would be crazy I think if he was still at Aston Villa next season but maybe we might expect him around 7 if he does end up staying at Villa madly yeah 
no absolutely absolutely right well could probably be going for absolutely bloody ever you know the likes of richardson antonio blah 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 all in the list in front of us but in fact is we've been talking for about an hour so probably time to take a break there um probably going to the rest of this speculation will be unheard but Bear in mind that come the price this release, we're going to go, I've got them all right. So I've cut them to keep this podcast brief. But um, yeah, just, just bear in mind that we during the discussion that got cut, we got all the price predictions correct and absolutely called it correctly because we are ITKs of the podcast world. Right, okay, let's take a break there and we'll be back with you very, very shortly. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, the final we're back of the season and it's time to catch up with our mini leagues. I've taken Nick's role because Nick is going to be doing the zombie league. Uh, but let's kick off with the actual engage managers league. Uh, Stag, the mini league update. How did it end? Uh, so Neil Thompson uh, squeaked into the top 10 down from seventh um, after not having any, basically any chips left to use in his final week. So 72 points brought him to 2,465, which was still very solid going for Neil after um, the whole season. Declan Rin made it back into the top 10, having been absent for a few weeks, up from 17th to 9th, thanks to his free hit team scoring 91, in spite of Captain Cap- um, Harry Kane. Mark Bird flew back into the top 10 as well, from 13th up to joint Seventh, his team Tweety Dreamers, 2,467 points, 86 in the final week. Graham Wilshaw as well, using bench boost to his benefit, up from ninth to that joint seventh with Mark Bird. Um, down to sixth from fifth is MJ Manjavri with his team The Cop, 2,468 points. Free hit team, Sterling Captain, obviously didn't quite go as well as he'd have hoped. Um, down to fifth from fourth, Martin Janssen, his team No no co enough uh, got 68 points on a free hit so that was a bit disappointing for him and brought him down a little bit Jake Gallagher up from 8th to 3rd in the final week he's joined 3rd with Sean Clark and his team Eli Pijot Athletic which he captained uh, Bruno Fernandez and didn't use a chip so pretty good going to get 81 points and climb the rankings there Alex Coates uh, got the last green arrow of the season here he came from Third to second, his team Haller at me, 2,499 points. No chips used in the final week, but still 85 points, even though he captained Sterling. And finally, the winner is Nathan Wollaston. He's been top for a few weeks in a row now, 2,505 points, 72 points this week, even though he captained Sterling. Uh, he ended up finishing 27th overall and 70 points behind the world number one. So absolutely brilliant, really, from Nathan and a great season. Fair play. Yeah, well done, yeah, Nathan. Well, yeah, well done, Nathan. Um, a really fantastic performance, and uh, yeah, great. And I saw also, also saw a friend of the pod, Luke Jardy. Uh, where did he end up, Nick? Oh, that was uh, zombies. No, it was zombies. Okay. Uh, cool. All right, and uh, Nick, in terms of the dead teams as opposed to the engaged teams, uh, how did the zombies do uh, this uh, this season? I say, yeah, well done, Nathan, as well. Yeah, finished overall rank twenty seventh. Won a number of leagues, including PVA's league, doing bits as well. So excellent season for him. But yeah, the zombies. Um, first off, we're, we're not necessarily going to do this next year. Just um, requires a lot of administration for it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think it's possibly going to be the last year of the zombies, unfortunately. But looking at the teams. Um, there's a few dead. Uh, there's a few cheating teams as well in the top ten, and this was part of the problem. So many people entered teams, but decided to cheat, and you have to remove each team one by one. So a small minority have unfortunately ruined it for um, the larger group. But there were a few people I saw did very well. Um, our friend of the pod, Luke Journey, was on one of our pods. Uh, previously came top twenty with the Walking Dead, two thousand one hundred seventy-one points, OR four hundred twenty-eight k. 
um, so about your level stack. Um, uh, also, Samuel, Samuel DB, another friend um, of ours on Twitter, did very well as well with his team, Zombie Luca. He came about 13th with 2,191 points. But uh, yeah, the top three, um, Zombie Cats with uh, 2,247, and Epic Shrug with 2,247, who got the brains. Uh, both did excellently, 140k. Uh, finish for them, uh, the Salah captaincy sort of letting them down, I guess, at the last minute there. Um, but our winner was um, Mary Vespo uh, with the VAR crew. Uh, 52 points to wrap up the season, two, 2,256 points just outside the top 100k, 119k OR. Again, it's the Salah call. Um, unfortunately, as the captain, just not helping in the last minute. Salah captain, De Bruyne. Vice captain, those guys clearly the key for our zombie teams, like Zavardi, Martial, and in defence, Pope obviously in goal, Robertson, Laporte, Dean, and Van Dyke. That was the setup clearly to do big at the back. Um, Works for for that zombie team there. Yep, very very well done. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll see if we do it again next season. I mean, it's, it's a great marketing tool, but equally, uh, can we bother to do all the administration and keep it going and police it? throughout the course of the first season, especially at the beginning. It's absolutely a nightmare, isn't it? The amount of people you've got to remove and the really unintuitive administration pain from FPL does not make it easy. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Might, might be back. Maybe not. Who knows? Normally at this point, we have our listeners' questions. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, given the fact it's the end of the season and probably that it'll be uh, along a similar theme, we decide, yeah, this time we're going to do something else entirely. And it is uh, the awards uh, as the season recedes in our rearview mirror, just say goodbye to a few uh, of the key uh, outcomes as this season has borne on. So to start off with, unimaginatively, the goalkeeper of the season, according to us. So uh, if I may go first on this one, and uh, I'll, I'll kind of reverse it around after that, nods around, okay. Uh, I think probably it's going to have to be Nick Pope for points. Um, Edison outscored him in the restart, got a golden glove, but 170 points scored, 4.5 million. That's outrageous value, isn't it? Like I cursed the day I sold him, to be honest. In general, in terms of the stats, it's actually very close between uh, Dean Henderson and Nick Pope. Uh, if you were looking to the expected data, so uh, Hendo, his XGC um, expected goals conceded was only was forty seven. He only conceded thirty three. That was the highest discrepancy. <laughs> On the other side, as I mentioned earlier, uh, laughing at Kepa, his XGC was thirty eight, and he conceded forty seven goals. Um, but uh, on the other side, of, on the other side to Hendo, um, Pope's ex. XCS expects clean sheets was nine. He only, he kept fifteen. That's pretty damn cool in terms of point outcome for FPL managers. So I've got to give it to Pope, and I think that it's a shame the next season uh, just to continue earlier on to point and get to him. But it's a shame next season. I'm guessing he's going to be five point five and probably a bit too expensive to go with at the start of the year. Um, but yeah, it's got to be Nick Pope this season just on a value basis, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I thought you might actually go for Dean Henderson, to be honest, there, Tom. But I, I did go, I did go for Nick Pope um, as the goalie of the year. I think he's, he's unfortunate not to get that golden card, but yeah, he's been excellent all season, hasn't he? 120 saves, made him the fourth highest in the league for saves. Um, also got plenty of bonus, 23 bonus points, was six more than any other keeper this campaign. Incidentally, Ben Foster was second with 17, and I'm, I'm glad he's not going to be here next year um, to be a sort of an evil 4.5 million temptation for us all to try and avoid. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's uh, Pope just 
just pipping Dean Henderson, who was also absolutely excellent this season. I certainly can see them both being 5.5 million next season. Yeah, I, I do feel for Dean Henderson um, that he's missing out on this award. Um, with you two going for Pope, I actually probably would go for Henderson. Um, and I think an, all, an awful lot of that is because of what he had managed to do up to the break. I know Sheffield United ne- weren't necessarily that good um, after the break, and certainly their defence wasn't as good as it. I guess we'd become used to it being uh, in the first half of the season. But the fact of the matter is, this is a guy who's he's on loan from Man United. This is a first time uh, in the Premier League team. And to get 13 clean sheets and to be as solid as he was and dependable, especially in those early weeks of the season when I guess we didn't know what to expect. Like, you know, by, by Christmas, he had quite a lot of his clean sheets, I guess. And that's it was really bloody impressive, and I, I feel I kind of I don't want to forget about that. Like I think we all knew Pope was a good goalkeeper. Statistically, we always knew he was liable to overperform. Burnley at one stage I think were very disappointing, and that's the reason why Tom you sold Nick Pope because there was that period where he just wasn't getting clean sheets, and I think there was an awful lot of talk of oh the Pope time it's over. There was never a time when the Dean Henderson time was over, except for perhaps after the restart when the everyone had uh, an limited amount of transfers and maybe they set up a team for the final weeks uh, otherwise there never would have been a time when there wasn't when Dean Henderson wouldn't have been a stalwart sure. of most sides and so for that I would have given it to him sure I, I just think that on a football level I think wait, that's probably where your point's coming from um, yeah. because him conceding less goals than he should have conceded that is that is great that is fantastic problem is, is that that probably happened after he conceded one <laughs> and uh, the the fact is that with Pope, the because he kept more clean sheets than he was expected to keep, um, the discrepancy between nine and fifteen, um, that's not sure what twenty four points for FPL managers. Um, I think that on the FPL level, that's probably a little bit better. Um, I don't uh, in terms of it and uh, Dean Henderson's XCS to actual clean sheets, the discrepancy wasn't as high. Um, so I think probably that be why I give it to Pope objectively subjectively i probably would give it to henderson football reasons i give it to henderson but i think in terms of fpl uh players of the season you've got to give it to pope we agree to disagree yeah (laughs) (laughs) maybe all right okay let's move on to defenders then uh and uh yeah i'm going to give it to the high the defender with the highest points per 90 that's obviously marcus alonso a 6.28 points per 90 5.95 for that loser taa Obviously, not. Uh, it's got to be TAA, hasn't it? Uh, with an honourable mention uh, for Lundstram, who we're going to mention again in a little bit. Uh, but there is one person I do want to just give a mention to, actually, who is in the hard done by category. It is Matt D. Um, he's got the highest XG for defenders, the most shots on target for defenders, the most shots in the box for defenders, and the most big chances for defenders over the course of the season. And indeed, was the highest scoring defender post restart. He scored 50 points, shading out. Johnny on 49 and TAA and Robbo who both got 44 so yeah Matt D 6.0 I can imagine him being 6.57 if he's 6.0 again he would be an absolute fucking steal wouldn't he so he'd be straight in my team do you know Um, what actually this is the thing with with Doherty though and like I think I I fully agree with you it's got to be TAA as defender of the season fine like ridiculous I think that we might be saying that for the next decade uh, to be perfectly honest with you but um, Matt Doherty the thing is is that we thought 6.0 was a ridiculous price tag for a Wolves defender at the start of the season Uh, it was like oh they've ruined Matt Doherty how much fun that was the previous season and the fact of the matter is that he's made a 6.0 price tag 
very much justifiable. And I think that's a, to his credit, especially because he had a quite a slow start to the season, you yeah. know, coming in off the bench quite a lot of the time, um, rotating with Adam Traore. He kind of seemed like he was, after losing his place, there was talk of a knee injury, which kind of hampered him through the summer. And for him re- to bounce back from that and to become, as you say, the top scoring player after the re- or top scoring defender after the restart, that's incredibly impressive. And I look, I'm going to come in with my Irish bias as well. Um, we're talking about Doherty. But at the, look, Trent, happy with that, defender of the year. Yeah, I think it's uh, Doherty. Um, he um, the only at least only the Liverpool players that actually outscored him. So he's the fourth highest scoring defender, just Van Dijk, Robertson, Trent um, outscoring him there. But I, I didn't actually own him at all over the course of this season compared to the last campaign where I think I had him for about thirty games or something. So I definitely missed out on those points, and perhaps that was a mistake to to overlook him um, over the course of the season, especially considering Wolves were so strong defensively um, for quite a yeah. significant part of this campaign. So um, and he and he got those returns as well, four goals and eight assists. So, yeah, um, excellent second choice there. But as as you guys said, I can't look any further than Trent, can I? Um, he was just he was just a king. He's, I think we're all going to be in very much agreement here that he's he's um, defender of the year, certainly. Excellent, easy, right? Midfield, another one which we're all probably going to be agreeing on. Um, it was the year of the midfielder generally. I think is worth mentioning uh, since the restart. That's particularly been magnified. The top five scorers since the restart have been midfielders, and eight of the top tens uh, have also been midfielders since the restart. Uh, those were Sterling, Fernandez, uh, Martial, KDB, Antonio, Ings, um, who won the forwards, who was in the top ten. Uh, Pulisic. Lillian, Kane um, and Mares. Um, overall, the top 10 was a little more variety, um, but five of the top 10 were again midfielders. And the question is, I guess, do we look at the top three in terms of KDB, Salah and Mane um, overall? Or do we also include Bruno? Um, as I mentioned earlier, his points per 90 was absolutely insane. 8.68 points per 90, which would have him on a 329-point season over the course of 38 games. Surely unsustainable, right? Um, Salah bossed the stats in terms of XG, shots in the box, touch in the box. Um, uh, KDB scored the most points. 9.5 million, though, for KDB. That's got to be him, right? I think there's probably no dispute about that. He was mature of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Like, look, there is arguments for Fernandez on a you know per game basis or whatever. But I think you also have to say that he was so reliant on penalties to get that. Like, he he scored is it four penalties in a relatively short amount of time in the Premier League, whereas uh, that that wasn't really a factor for De Bruyne. He scored two of them, but much more towards the tail end of the season. And so, I think it's that overall dependability. Like we used to you joke that uh, Raul Jimenez was the postman, but like to manage to be deliver all the time consistently, meriting like. An an ever-increasing price tag in one of the best teams in the league, also doing it outside of FPL um, or outside of the Premier League in general and doing it in Europe all the time. Top player, top scorer, uh, top assists, assist record holder uh, overall or ever or whatever alongside Thierry Henry. Just, it's got to be De Bruyne. Yeah, yeah, I think certainly De Bruyne is the, the, the standout choice. The only one other one I, I thought about considering was um, Anthony Martial. Actually, without without the bias of a, a BT Sport sort of Team of the Year poll, I genuinely think that Martial was um, excellent this campaign, considering his seven point five million valuation. He, he certainly um, he certainly um, definitely performed overperformed there with a two hundred point return. Uh, this this campaign, which is just, just excellent, so he was the only one I think would potentially attempt to dethrone De Bruyne in my eyes. But yeah, 
I, I can't I can't say that he's uh, been better than De Bruyne in 251 points. Just, just an excellent campaign, all in all for KDB. So we're being very boring here and yeah. all agreeing and all, all going for the top scoring FPL assets as well. I just went on my phone and looked at Martial's price because I found it like scarcely believable that he started the season at 7.5. Genuinely, I had to check that to make yeah. to make sure. I was about to say, are you sure about that? So yeah, absolutely crazy. But yeah, I think maybe with that, and if you kind of cut value by start of season price rather than end price, God, Martial's been doing pretty well there, isn't he? But yeah, that's going to be KDB. Um, hold that thought in mind for player of the season as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, striker, striker of the season. Um, I think... I mean, you've got, uh, I think probably it's just about Vardy, maybe. This this one may have a bit more of a division, clear the lobby. Uh, Vardy, his spate of goals, I think, may have just done enough between game week 7 and game week 18. He scored over half his points in that period. So he scored 110 points of his 210, 52% of his points. And what's really interesting about Vardy this year, maybe it's because of the Rogers effect, so he went from being a stats defier, so the sort of player who did very, very well against big teams, against little teams, didn't really know what he was going to do, to a stats dream. He became incredibly predictable in that he scored against the poorer teams more often than not. Um, what is interesting is just behind him, just five points behind him, in fact, was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang yet again. And I think... I. He's one of these players, he's like Hazard. You just leave him there and he will do the job for you. 205 points. The second year in a row, he's got 205 points exactly. Just five points behind Vardy. Um, And yeah, I mean, a premium we didn't speak about too much earlier. But I mean, if he does stay at Arsenal, if he gets back to midfield, dear me, a huge option there. And um, maybe Ings have a third and maybe Ings will get another prize that we're going to talk about in a second. But you've got to go Vardy, right? I, I actually went for Danny Ing, so a bit of a differing opinion there. Not a player that I owned over the course of the season, but I think he certainly put to bed those stories of the histories of the injuries and, and the glass ankle. We saw previous campaigns where he was coming off on the 57th minute, but it's, it's worth highlighting actually that um, since the restart, he's only missed three minutes of football. So he's played 90 minutes every single game, apart from one where he played 87 minutes. So no fitness concerns there, no injury concerns. And just, I mean, the Vardy returns that we got, it wasn't, I mean, I wasn't hugely surprised that he managed 23 goals. I'm certainly surprised that Ings managed 22 goals over this campaign. That was not expected at all. And he started, another one that started super cheap, he started at 6 million this campaign. So um, really, really made um, fantastic value for money there, considering finished 198 points overall yep for for me it's also the lad that i didn't have on my team all season danny angst uh forward of the year for sure 22 goals that's an overperformance on his xg of seven he was only eighth for shots in the box so he was often yep. doing this as a player who wasn't necessarily being supplied as you might expect that 6.0 price tag as well was ridiculous in hindsight i put che adams into my game week one team not danny Ings. so there, that was my uh mistake 100, 198 points overall yeah i transferred um i transferred shinji okazaki into my team as well after game week one of the leicester title winning season as well oh, right. or no not, was it oh, yeah okazaki so look i have a bit of a, a penchant for bringing in the wrong striker from a, a mid-table team that's maybe overperforming but the thing with this Southampton team is that they became a mid-table team only because of Danny Ings really yeah. for half a season. They were so bloody poor. They tightened it up after the, the Leicester humiliation. They really tightened things up. But for 
quite a while it was just Danny Ings out there on his on his own Shane Long not getting the recognition he deserved from Ralph Hassenhuddle until later in the season all the rest of the Irish lads of Femi, Smallbone etc coming in and lifting them up in the second half of the season but before that really they were really struggling if it wasn't for uh, all those Irish lads coming in they'd have been in serious trouble but yeah Danny Ings uh, my striker of the season there you go, Southampton. You've been relegated, wasn't for Ireland? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, God, you, you, you can't. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, I'm probably with you on on that. Really, I think uh, just to segue into the next one, which is budget player of the season, i.e., a player who's six million or below. Um, <laughs> I was going to go for Danny Ings there. This is my, my budget player of the season because six million, scarcely believable, isn't it? 198 points. Simply, I've written here as my notes. What the hell was I thinking? Like, I, I just, I, oh, it's one of those that I'm going to regret for a while. Um, and you know, next year, I'm sure I'm going to buy him. I'm sure he's not going to, he's going to have lost his hot streak. He's got him for the first three or four game weeks. It'll be terrible. And then I'll sell him by game week four on my wild card for somebody else. Uh, I mean, elsewhere, okay, then in the budget players of the season, uh, you guys talk about John Lindstrom, 144 points for a 4.0 million player. FPL didn't do that homework, just for, did a, yeah, that would do for some guy I've never heard of before. He's second to Doherty on most uh, key hits, on most key stats. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, since the restart as well, honourable mentions took up the players. Uh, Phil Foden, uh, 8.38 points per uh, 90, uh, the highest points per 90 of any player below 6 million. And uh, of course, uh, Mr. Greenwood, 6.77, the two highest scoring, uh, 6.77 point per, points per 90. They both got the same score since the restart, the two highest scoring under 6 million players. But yeah, I mean, if we are going to arbitrarily say it's a 6 million or below player, got to be Danny Ings. If not, probably Lundstrand, because I don't think we're going to see 144 points from a 4.0 ever again, are we? Yeah, yeah, I actually wouldn't have gone for Lundstrom just on the base. So I think there's a bit of, um, you know, recency points coming in that means, you know, he obviously lost his position and was kind of in and out of the team and was no longer, let's say, the stalwart that we'd become so used to. And as well, as we mentioned in the goalkeeper of the year section with Dean Henderson, Sheffield United's defence was just not quite the uh, dependable um, defence that it had been as well. So his attraction kind of just fell on many fronts as the season went on. But at 4.0, it was absolutely ridiculous. Like he was still uh, second in defenders across the season for shots. It was 43, uh, just behind Alexander Arnold, who had 44. Just to yeah, kind of give you an idea, that. like a player who had, you know, who definitely wasn't playing all that much as the season went on, uh, was still right up there in gross terms across the season. Like r- ridiculous, really, in hindsight. Uh, fair play to John Lundstrom, uh, Ballon d'Or winner, if I believe Twitter. Yeah, definitely a phenomenal campaign from an FPL perspective there. I actually, I actually went for Mason Greenwood. I, perhaps I'm kind of looking at the future a little bit there as well with this particular FPL asset, but considering it was his first ever campaign as a youngster to kind of, kind of finish with a sort of three-figure haul, 103 points, um, and just emerge with 10 goals somehow. Like You would have expected Greenwood to finish with 10 goals, especially since the restart when he broke into that Manchester United team. He, he's been phenomenal and uh, looks like a really exciting talent. As I said, if he was a midfielder, he'd only had eight points less than Pulisic. So um, that's who I picked as my budget player of the season, at least budget player since the, the restart. But perhaps Lundstrom deserves it, considering his early season heroics. Yeah, I definitely think if the season was 10 weeks longer, I'd have probably been going for Greenwood, considering he'd have probably added four or five goals to that tally. Like, it was kind of all going his way, wasn't it, as the season went on? Exactly. You know what? I called it. I had Mason Greenwood in my game at one squad, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> right, okay. Uh, mid-price player of the season. Uh, for me, there's only one option here. So if we're defining mid-price player as a six to nine million player, um, only one option here. I think it, it's probably anti-martial. 7.5 million to start with and i'm basing that probably on recency uh, but since the restart and eye-catching stats, he's, he's got 10 points per 90 uh, which would be a exit velocity of 380 points over the course of the season obviously as nick mentioned earlier critically over uh, indexing on the price that he would score if he was a forward but still i think that a 7.5 million for manchester united starting striker uh especially as Bruno came in, I guess. I think that he's the guy who gets it for me um, just because of a, a myriad of reasons. But I think he's probably the, the one who, again, similar to Ings, that was overlooked and was consciously gone without for me. And maybe it's the case of me trying to make up for that. But yeah, it's got to be Martial for me, I think, in terms of looking at things from a bit of perspective. Yeah, he was a player who was mid-priced and probably should have been in a lot of our teams a lot more. Interesting. I actually probably would go for Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, who did outscore Martial ac- across the whole season. Oh, we've, yeah, we've, yeah. Probably should have as well. <laughs> yeah, we've, um, we've talked about him as nauseum in the Defender of the Year category, but I would have definitely given him that mid-price player of the year uh, for pretty much all of the above reasons that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, I actually, I actually went for Anthony Martial here. I didn't really think of Trent as a mid-price player just because he's sort of a premium defender. But um, yeah, um, Martial for me, mainly for the, the reasons already spoken about on the pod and the reasons that Tom just quoted as well. Oh, I think I think that actually if I was, probably should have thought more about including TAA in this bracket in my head because it yeah, does feel like it's it. obvious. Just, you, you guys filtered by me. attacking. Yeah, um, I, I, did, I did. I genuinely did. <laughs> I genuinely did because I think I'd gone, I kind of thought, yeah, you know, more than six million. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's the, but Tom, it's those casuals who ignore oh, the just, defenders. It just, just it? shows the mental block, which is true. <laughs> and I've never, I've never uh, espoused to be more, more intelligent than anybody else. Uh, so yeah, it shows that I'm also effective. I'm the same issues that affect everybody else. So yeah, if anything, this proves that Stag is the cleverest man around. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Uh, and moving on to the premiums. Uh, Salah, Mane, Aubameyang. Or is it the player of the season and the premium player of the season and the midfielder of the season? Oh, the triple hat-trick from Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I think just to kind of keep the session very, very short, because I think they'll probably fall into one. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, for me, takes premium of the season. If we're going to take 9.5 as being premium, which is just about right uh, to end player of the season and midfielder of the season all in the same way. Last year, it was Sadio Mane for me, who was player of the season and premium of the season. This year, Kevin De Bruyne gets those two and indeed gets all three, in fact. It's the same as Mane did last year. Um, but Kevin De Bruyne, I think, reframed fundamentally the way we think about him. So right now, I don't think anybody could imagine a world where he wasn't an essential member of an FPL team, at any FPL team. Not like right now, but over the course of any season, if you chose a player he would be in there. But he was so low priced for a reason, 9.5 million, because injuries meant that last year he didn't score more than 100 points, right? He missed the vast majority of the season. That now seems scarcely believable that he got that 9.5 million. He's been missed the consistency. He's played the majority of minutes and he's returned 36 goal involvements, 22 goal involvements in the 35 games he started. 
in many ways the perfect fantasy asset. So I think this season De Bruyne was the man. Uh, I mean, we saw Salah in a couple, a couple of years ago scoring over 300 points. So we've seen better. Um, but in the context of this season, it has been De Bruyne this season. Uh, so consequently, I think he's been premium of the season, player of the season and midfielder of the season all rolled into one. So yeah, hat-trick De Bruyne. What do you guys think? Yeah, hat-trick for De Bruyne there. Um, done. <laughs> I think last season, last season, Salah was player of the season for me. He hasn't done it three years in a row since we started the pod, unfortunately. I think this year it's all about Ginger Kevin. And yep, he's done the hat-trick. Agree? I, 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 of course I agree overall, but I think we need to give an honourable mention to uh, the 1.2% owned, uh, 5.2 priced uh, Jordan Henderson, of course, the uh, the real player of the season. No, it's complete crap. Like I can't believe those English journalists <laughs> voted for Jordan Henderson. It's the most deluded decision imaginable. And if he wasn't English, they'd never have voted for him. I've got it in there. I had to get it in there. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Not even the fifth best Liverpool player this season. Yeah, I think that um, all of the stuff about the fact that he was carrying the team forward, blah, blah, blah. But why didn't Wes Morgan get player of the season? Why didn't yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he? Yeah. Import- he was an important part of a, champion- of a championship winning team. It's like, so was Wes Brown. You know, it's like, we're not talking about him as like, you know, a Premier League legend. And actually, and addressing that as well, sorry, I'm getting it all off my chest here. The David Silva stuff as well. Like, he, wasn't, he won City's Player of the Year award. How many times, Tom? Zero? Once. At Once. the same amount of times as Stephen Ireland. Oh, God. And yet we're talking about him as if he was like the best Premier League player ever. Some people are talking about him as the best foreign import ever into the Premier League. Like, it's completely daft. He's not even in the probably top 20 Premier League players ever. Ooh. Well, I think we should leave it at that, actually, for this <laughs> season. Um, because Ooh. I can't bother to keep arguing. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, as, as, you've, as you've all heard, this has been uh, the the, uh, the contribution Stag has added to this season, a uh, sense of uh, argument, argumentation, because Nick and I always had to agree with each other. So thank you for that, Stag. No right. Uh, that's your lot. I think. reeling from that David Silver. Sorry. I was like, I, I warned them in the WhatsApp group chat earlier. I wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> all right. I'm glad. I'm glad. Right. It's midnight, Stag. Round up. Yes, indeed. So um, thanks very much, number one, guys, for bringing me on board on the pod this year. It's been really enjoyable to be part of the team and I'm looking forward to my first full season as a host with you guys. It will be good fun. But for now, we were who got the assist. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to us over the course of this season through lockdown and out of lockdown again. And we look forward to being back with you in preseason. Yeah, thanks very much, guys, for um, listening to us through this very, very long campaign. It's it's going to be a short break for us, not very long at all, because it's probably only going to be a couple of weeks before we start looking at stuff like fixtures and the new prices for next season and stuff like that. So it won't be long before you hear us again. But yeah, uh, really enjoyable campaign yet again. And we look forward to our fourth season of Who Got the Assist. Oh, speak for yourself. No, it, it was enjoyable being WGTA. It was not an enjoyable campaign, but there you go. Um, I think uh, upcoming schedule is to rest as long as possible. Uh, then we've got four pods uh, penciled in for the preseason, so a little bit more truncated than normal. We'll be skipping the usual A to Z because we simply don't have time given work and other commitments. Uh, but we'll be back for a price reaction slash fixtures pod um, basically when we can. Then we'll do price analysis slash value hunting. Unwritten rules of FPR family and a pre-game with one podcast. So four before the season starts. We're also going to have, or I'll also have the value and talisman reports written up. 
But for now, we're off to have a break and forget what FPL means for a bit before speaking to you again in August. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening this season. And we hope you, we assisted you during the course of the campaign. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.